Before we dive into this episode, I have a quick message for you guys. You know I'm all about human optimization, performance, and liberation of the mind, body, and soul. So I have a few tools and resources for you guys to become the best version of yourself that you could possibly be. The first is Strong Coffee. Strong Coffee brings you that specialty coffee experience and a healthy, done-for-you pre-mixed powder that includes instant organic coffee, grass-fed collagen protein, and MCT oil powder to fuel your mind and body for hours so you can spend more time and energy on the important things of life. If you're like me and love coffee, love caffeine, you need to have strong coffee in your household. It's an absolute game changer. They have amazing flavors to choose from like honey lavender, which I'm absolutely obsessed with, vanilla, mocha, and plain black. Again, you need to have this in your household. It tastes amazing and it's really, really, really good for you. You can use my code FOSSUM at checkout for a percentage off your purchase. That's code FOSSUM, F-O-S-S-U-M, for a percentage off your purchase. The next is Ketone IQ. Ketones are nature's super fuel, proven to support energy, focus, endurance, and more. Developed alongside the U.S. military and top universities, Ketone IQ delivers all those benefits in one drink. No caffeine, no sugar, just clean, on-demand energy for superior physical and cognitive performance. You can get them in a bottle or a shot form. I take both. I absolutely love them. I take them before a podcast, before I work out, or any activity that I'm going to need some cognitive energy, focus, and clarity. It really kicks in and helps me get the job done. I did a podcast with Michael Brandt, the CEO and co-founder of HVMN, who produced these Ketone IQ drinks. If you want to learn more about that subject, I suggest you listen to that podcast. It was amazing. You can use code CALEB at checkout. That's K-A-L-E-B at checkout for a percentage off your order. Last but not least is Vibram Five Fingers. You guys know I'm all about that barefoot lifestyle. I firmly believe in living a barefoot lifestyle. I think it's healthy. I think it just strengthens the foundation of your life and your body and just helps you overall, again, with performance, optimization, and liberation. So Vibram Five Fingers is a shoe that helps spread your feet to give you that barefoot lifestyle. It divides your toes up to help spread that feet, strengthen your foundation, and give you that barefoot feel anywhere you go. I take them to the gym. I take them out. I take them when I go on walks. I like to wear my Vibram Five Fingers any chance I can. And again, it just gives you that barefoot lifestyle anywhere you want to go. I have a link with the discount code already applied to it. So all you got to do is click the link and check out for a percentage off and free shipping for your order of Vibram Five Fingers. I'll have all links and codes in the show notes. And I really hope that you guys take advantage of these tools and resources that have helped change my life. I hope they change yours. I genuinely use all these products and I really, really hope that you guys take advantage of this opportunity. So now an uninterrupted podcast. I really hope you guys enjoy and be uncommon. Welcome to Be Uncommon. I am your host, Caleb Fossum, and I'm here with my boy, Isaac Dotson. Um, I met Isaac at Washington State University. We were both members of the football team. Um, my first impression of Isaac, I was like, damn, this dude's swole, bro. This guy is like, <laughs> I was a freshman coming in. This dude was all jacked. Um, you know, but Isaac is also known as Side Street. That's his, what your stage name, your musical name. Uh, your, That's it. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> so he's also into music. We have a lot to unpack here um, with Isaac and I'm really excited to dive in. So Isaac, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Excited to catch up. Yeah, absolutely, man. So where where are you? Where are you living these days? Are you in LA right now? I'm in LA. Yeah. So I was I moved to LA in 2018. Um, lived here for two years, and then COVID hit, 
And so I decided to move home just because everything's kind of up in there. Nobody knew what was going on in the world. So I want to be back close to my family up in Seattle. So I moved back home for a year and uh, mm. just actually got back to L.A. in February. So I've been here for like seven, what, seven months now. So six, seven months. Yeah. All right. There we go. Yeah. So, OK, so you're originally from Seattle, correct? Yep. Bellevue, just outside Seattle. Yeah. Bellevue. And you went to Bellevue. Yeah. Is that where you went to high school? I went to Newport. Um, so it's like South okay. Bellevue, a little further. Um, so just not like proper downtown Bellevue area where Bellevue High School is, but a little bit further south. Okay. Okay, dope. So I definitely want to get into um, just, I mean, your football journey. And I'd like to just kind of go, you know, back to where everything started. I mean, I guess, were you always into sports as a kid? Um, you know, did you play multiple sports? Just kind of give me that breakdown of, of kind of growing up in uh, Seattle. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm definitely from an athletic family. My dad was a wrestler at Wazoo, actually. Uh, mom was like a cheerleader, played volleyball mm -hmm. in high school and everything. So it was, I have four older sisters and they were all athletes as well. So it's sports are definitely in the family. Um, my first sport I ever played was I was a wrestler, of course, from, from thanks to my dad. When I was like mm -hmm. six, seven years old or something, I was out there rolling around on the mat. There wasn't much technique to it, but um well, that was my introduction <laughs> to, to sports. And then, uh, like, the next couple of years, I decided I want to play basketball. And so started playing basketball, and I liked that a little bit better than uh, than wrestling, so I stuck with that. And then got into baseball, football. Um, and so it kind of stayed those three sports up until late middle school, like eighth grade, I think. I, I decided I wanted to switch to spring basketball instead of playing baseball. Um and so I played travel basketball in the spring and then it was just football, basketball the rest of the year. So um, eventually in high school decided uh, that football would probably be the best route because I was like six foot two playing a four or five on my basketball team. We weren't a very big team, um, <laughs> but I always loved football, of course. And yeah, like you said, I was a quarterback um, at the at the start and um, wanted to play quarterback in college. So was going to go to Nevada and play. I was a dual threat guy, so I was going to go play play the pistol offense, run the read option and everything. So you know all about that, obviously. But uh, yeah, I was, yeah. was going to try and go be the next the next Kaepernick up there and, and run, run all over the place and, and gunning it too. But um, their head coach retired, and so I had my offer from Wazoo, and it was an athlete offer. Um, so I had to kind of make a decision if I wanted to, you know, Put my quarterbacking up in the air going to wazoo and at the end of the day it just made the most sense once once coach alt retired decided to switch over couldn't deny the pac-12 mm -hmm. football i've been a coog my whole life and so uh, it was just the right right decision i think that's badass i didn't know that coach alt was actually the one that was recruiting you yeah as, man uh, or was, yeah. was there at the time um when you were getting recruited yeah i was like i, yeah, I did like an un was, uh... unofficial visit and i like had to I got to do a workout for him and everything and then uh he brought me in the office wow. and gave me the offer. It was pretty legit. It was cool. Wow, dude. Yeah, he's uh obviously a legend. I mean like I you know I I finished up my career at Nevada so it's really cool like just kind of the tie in and coach was Coach Wilson recruiting you to Nevada? Wilson was at Nevada. It's actually kind of funny. So Wilson was at Nevada and he was he wasn't recruiting me directly, but he was there. Like when I was visiting and everything he was you know, he was there. He was he was the coach one of the coaches, but, um, mm -hmm. when I 
when Coach Alt retired and they had some coaching changes and everything, next thing I know, I'm visiting Wazoo and uh, Wills was coming on the staff at Wazoo along with Mastro, Coach Mastro too. And they kind of all pulled me in an office at Wazoo and were like, look, Coach Alt's gone. Like the pistol's not going to be what it was. Like you need to, you need to come over to Wazoo and, you know, we're going to, we're going to build this program up. You're a coog, you're Washington kid, all this stuff. And they got in my ear and so I was like, all right. It's, so they got, they got to recruit me one at one school and then they shift to another school and they just kind of pulled me along with them, which was, it was cool. Cause I knew <laughs> some coaches going into Wazoo already just from that. And then got to meet and, and get to know um, coach Leach's coaches even, even better. Um, but yeah, it, it all turned out well. Yeah. I mean, I I'd say so. And it's, uh, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, cause coach Wilson's now the new head coach at Nevada. I know, man. So, like, it's so wild. It's cool that, yeah, man, that football world is insane and just like, you know, you never know where someone's going to be. You never know where you're going to be, especially now with, you know, this whole NIL and everything. That shit's crazy. But yeah. um, can you can you talk to me about like, uh, you know, just as a kid? So, I mean, you, like you said, you wanted to play quarterback, uh, but then you commit kind of to the unknown of Washington State. And first of all, I mean, the Palouse is just when you first get there. I mean, it's different. I mean, you only know if you know, you know, going to that school, going right. to Pullman, being a Coug. Um, but that transition, I mean, even in college, if you want to talk about, um, you know, I met you towards kind of the end of your career. Um, so I'd like to know kind of how that transition was in the beginning, um, of getting on the campus, kind of going through that transition, playing linebacker, like, yeah. like this hybrid safety linebacker. But yeah. Yeah. There was a lot, there was a lot of, uh, new things in those, in those first few years for me, um, playing obviously a different position, but just like you said, just going to college in general, um, even though it was only across the state, um, it was still a pretty, I mean, the Eastern Washington versus Seattle area, like the, the worlds are, are two different worlds pretty much. So it was, um, it was very different. And uh, I think, you know, every kid has like the freshman blues when they get there, you kind of miss home. I can only imagine how it was for you Cali boys. Like, I, I was like, man, it's not that cold. It's not that bad. What are you guys complaining about? And then I moved down here and I'm like, oh, okay, I see how, yeah. how Pullman was a, a bit of a shock to these guys. But, um, spoiled, yeah. spoiled in California, man. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough, like for, for, like it is for anybody, especially like with what they were trying to do with the program when I got there coming off a three and nine season. Like that's what our class was excited for. We were Coach Leach's first real, like full recruiting class at Wazoo. So that was cool. And we were all on the same page about what we wanted to accomplish there and, and get the culture back to, you know, um, the winning days of, of Cougar football, which is what we were able to do ultimately. But, um, it was rough, man. Like it took a lot of weeding out at the beginning. That's all the coaches were emphasizing was like, get these guys out. If they're not about what we're, if they're not fully bought in, then they need to be gone. And so at first it was like, man, the, even the guys who were bought in were catching the brunt of that. And they were really, you know, putting us through the <laughs> ringer trying to get this team to where it needed to be in order to be successful. And uh, so as freshmen, it was like, oh man, like, it was just rough trying to come off of a, a such a terrible season from the year before and us just learning everything. And like Loco was just on us all the time. And we had some knuckleheads <laughs> yeah. obviously in the group. And so there was just such a, such a um, like group punishment, like mindset, like we're, we're in this together. If somebody's messing up, we're all going to be in it. And what they were doing and what I really didn't realize until later. And what we started to do is they were like, we're going to punish all of you until you hold each other accountable. We're going to, we're going to make sure that 
that there are leaders in the group who will will raise the standard so it's not just coming from coaches because this is your team like we're only going to go as far as you guys carry us we can we can scheme we can do um whatever as far as coaching goes we can be the greatest coaches in the world if you guys don't step on the field and execute and that that comes from holding each other accountable being disciplined um being a team being excited to play all the leech leech isms you know um if, if that doesn't happen from you guys, then you won't be successful. Like at the end of the day, this is your career. What do you want to, what do you want to, what do you want to be, you know? And so we had to eventually kind of realize that. And it took a couple of years, honestly, before we were like, okay, like I'm sick of getting punished for what this guy's doing. So let me just, you know, rather than just letting the coach tell him, this is the standard, let me as a leader on the team or let, you know, um, this group of guys, our core group of guys, that's what our class kind of did. I feel like the 2013 graduating high school class that came in, we were like, all right, we're going to carry the standard and kind of hold these guys accountable. And um, to the point where at the end of like my last year, the coaches were like almost hands off. They were like, Coach Wilson would be like, uh, Dot, mm-hmm. hey, you guys handle this. Um, like he would just tell us that he's like, you guys know what the standard is. Like these guys aren't meeting it. You guys figure it out. You know, you remember those days. Like Loco would be like, Falk, hold the meeting. 100%. Like, figure it out. It's just on you guys. It's your team. And it was really cool to see like the flip of trust that the coaches like put on us, put on our class. Um, but it took a lot to get there. And that was tough, man. Like, so that was one aspect of it. And then for me too, like changing positions, going from quarterback to the dark side and like not having any proper like technique training or anything going into it. They were just like, oh, that's an athlete. Get him out there. He can play linebacker safety, nickel strong free you know like bounce around all over the place in my head i'm like this is just it's all new stuff and like my second day of camp on defense i'm already running with the twos and the corners are looking at me like what's the call and that was on me obviously to learn the learn the defense and everything but it was just (laughs) so much trial by fire that i wasn't i you know like even if you're learning a new playbook at at some point you can fall back on your like training and technique and everything as a wide receiver like for you Mm -hmm. um but for me, I'm like, I don't yes. have any training, no technique, anything. Like, I'm doing things just pure running around based off my athletic ability. And so it was a lot of trial by fire. But I'm I'm really glad that um, that's how it was because I feel like I learned what not to do for that whole freshman year. And then even into my sophomore. And, mm. and then, like, it wasn't really – I didn't really get a grasp of everything until probably my junior year, um, which is when we started really uh, having some success there. But man, it was a journey. It was a lot, a lot of uh, trial by fire. Like I said, a lot of just just growth in those first couple of years of just like you don't have a choice. Like you have to do this, so you better mm-hmm. like get your mind right, get ready to go, and get after it. And you might as well while you're at it, like make an impact, and you might as well ball out. You know what I mean? So if you're you're not going anywhere, the, the task in front of you is not going anywhere. So you might as well make most of it. So it was a lot of a lot of learning there for sure. She's dropping some heat, man. Uh, there's a lot to to unpack there, but I mean, just from coming in in 2015, I mean, you guys had that tone set, especially your house in general, like you, Luke, Peyton. Um, you know, Luke. For those listening, Luke Falk was the quarterback. You know, Peyton was a uh, middle linebacker. You know, you're on the dark side as well, playing that hybrid linebacker safety, and you guys totally did just have control in the most. Um, leadership way like that's what i really enjoyed i love talking to people because they're like how'd you like wazoo i was like bro i love that team Mm -hmm. there was not one dude on that team that i didn't like there wasn't like 
it was just such a fun squad to be a part of. And I think it was obviously because of you guys, like, you know, Maul and, and River and all these guys from your class that just um, that went through those trials and then knew what it took to be a winning team and then just instill that, that culture. And it was really, really cool to be a part of that. Um, and it is funny, like you said, I mean, you had a burn the boats mentality where you're like, I'm going to provide value. Even if I don't know where to start, like you're thrown in the fire and you, like you said, you learn so much from just the experience of just getting thrown in there. Absolutely. And it can't make you a man Dude. that, that fall camp, uh, especially with coach Leach, that, uh, that first year, because I think that was the last year, 2015 was the last year of double days. But we'd go to Lewiston, Idaho. If you want to go ahead and talk about like your uh, your little fall camp days for these guys that are probably going through it right now. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are little like eggs that just pop up as far as like the how, how tough and the transitions and everything. But man, Lewiston is a different story. That might <laughs> that might be the peak of it. Um, especially, so you got there 2015. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yep. So 2014 uh, fall camp, the year before, we were in Lewiston for 14 days. 14 days in Lewiston, Idaho. <laughs> Two a days, all that, or you know, um, oh the whole the whole shebang. Wake up, lift, go through uh, meetings, everything, walkthroughs, uh, practice, like meetings again. 11 p.m. done. Like it was rough. 14 days out there it's like 110 degrees but yeah you talk about going through it um yeah but but also like you're you're out of middle school playing on like potholes like Sacagawea middle school is where, the- is where we would practice so like in the context <laughs> it's not like we're at some facility no. and you're you're sleeping on these like fucked up dorms with like a Dude. new roommate every night but you're not really sleeping i mean you're in bed at 11 o'clock after meetings waking up at five but you're barely getting sleep like yeah the the mattresses are like this thin you're you feel like you close your eyes and open up this morning (laughs) again time to go live like the the conditions but leach was doing something there again like every there was always a method to the madness we Mm -hmm. of course in in those moments we were just bitching and like you know man especially that year because we our facility had just been finished Literally, the facility got finished. We're Whoa. getting a tour after being in Bowler, and it's like brand new everything. Oh, we got a cold tub, hot tub in the or a cold tub in the um, locker room. The lockers are huge, nice cushy pads, and like drawers and all this fancy stuff. We're getting the whole tour of the whole facility, and then two weeks later, Leach goes, or I mean, it's like yeah, we're spending two weeks in in Lewiston, so we we just get away from all that. But he was doing that, so we'd appreciate what we had, and um, that was huge, man. Like. Like we, like you're saying, it's just the most miserable two weeks. Like I have like memories. Everybody I talked to is like, oh man, you remember that left-hand turn on the bus? Like you can see the field up there <laughs> and you're just like, oh, okay, here we go. Here we go. I got it. And you're sweating yeah, on the bus. Sweating your ass off on the no bus. No AC like, on the bus. No. <laughs> uh, and you're just making that turn and you're like, here we go. Another day. Like just got to get after it. You know, you're going to get ripped. You know, it's going to be tough, hot, hmm. whatever. Like you got uh team run you got special teams you got all this stuff you got to just like you really have to just reset like multiple times throughout a practice like that and just be like all right like little pat on the back for that period whatever like time to get a sip of water and get ready for the next one and just go hard like every every rep counts obviously so you have to just be able to tap in and be like all right, like, here we go. Like, get it reset. Got to do it. Just go all out. Because at the end of the day, and you know more than anybody, like, you have more in the tank than you really think. So if you're stuck, it's again, once you're, mm-hmm. once you're like, 
I'm here. I'm at Sacagawea Middle School. It's 110 degrees. There, this 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 day eight of camp, and uh, there's potholes all over the the turf and stuff, and it's just basically dirt at this point. And uh, we got you know all the it's a long day, full pads, whatever. Um, those are the facts. Like, do with them what you what you will. You, you have a choice at that point. It's like you can you can go out there and enjoy the fact that you're getting to play football. It's, it's all perspective, man. Like, be grateful for where you're at. It's tough in those situations, and it's a little harder to zoom out. But it's like, dude, you're playing football for getting an education for free. Like, you're out here with your brothers, these guys you've bonded with over the years, like, flying around playing for one of the best coaches in the nation. Like, it's it's crazy how, how much a little perspective can can just alter your your mood, you know, completely in a situation like that. Um, but it's, it just takes a buy-in like, all right, I'm here. These are the facts. Got to do it. That's what I was, I always just would tell myself in my head, like, even when my alarm would go off in the morning, like I would put like the name is just like, <laughs> got to do it. Like, don't have a choice. Got to do it. So I'm gonna go hard. Like, yeah. got to go hard. <laughs> so that was it at camp, especially. And, uh, it was just long days, man. Long days. When I was playing quarterback, the first like week of camp, uh, my freshman year, um, I was obviously in meetings with Leach. So uh, that was the thing though, about being kind of like a jackknife dude where they would just put me in wherever. As I was out there in my blue jersey, and I started taking a hint at this point, eventually I did, but I was in my blue jersey running down on kickoff, like <laughs> doing all these <laughs> special teams drills <laughs> and like all this all this extra stuff. And I'm like, something's, they're up to something here for sure. But um, I was still over there yeah. like slinging the rock and doing Skelly and doing all this stuff. And then, um, uh, but during that time, it was like coach leech meetings. We already know the team meetings take forever, man. I would be gassed. Like the other quarterbacks aren't doing all the other stuff. And Bresky had me running scout team quarterback. Mm -hmm. And then I would go over for the twos, the next play and run safety reps. So I was literally just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth oh for every God. period. So it was a lot. So I was gassed at the end of the day, getting to coach leech's meeting after special teams meeting. And we're in there to like, midnight because he's telling stories about some raccoon that he had as a pet <laughs> when he was growing up or something like and we're like man we just want to go to bed and get we wouldn't even watch film he would sit there and fast forward rewind fast forward rewind the exact same play over and over so he could just tell us a, tell us a story <laughs> but it was it was tough man but always, always better for it like at the end of the day um and by senior year the crazy thing is like we just had everything down like it was just routine and we could kind of pick mm. up the freshmen and we could kind of pick people up who were struggling and just be like, man, come on. Like, it's going to be, this is just how it is. Welcome. Mm -hmm. You know, but it, it made it, it made it better once we had um, those rough years of going through it with the, the guys that were older than me. Cause it was their first time too. So there was a couple of years where everyone was just miserable. But by the time it got to my junior, senior year, um, it was like, we've been through this. We know what it takes we're going to, we're going to kind of help lead these guys. And it was just a much more of a leadership kind of position for us as players, which is cool. Yeah, no, you guys, you guys definitely did. And it's so funny. Like you said, like looking back from your, your first fall camp, you got a blue Jersey on boys in blue running down on kickoff. <laughs> and then, you know, up until your senior year where you're, you know, you're pretty much a defensive captain and, and just the the difference. I mean, I remember like coming in as a fucking walk on, and I'm number thirty eight in my first fall camp, and I'm just like running around with my fucking head cut off. Like it just 
it's so funny that transition and then the little wins that you start to just compound over those four to five years that you're playing and the confidence that comes with it. And like you said, Leach was always up to something. So, um, I mean, you did, once you got back to that facility, I remember the day when you're pulling back oh up to the God. facility and you're seeing everybody, you're like, oh my God, I'm back yeah. to, like, oh, I've never been more happy to be in Pullman, Washington. Yeah, the like, happiest moment, you know, the happiest moment. It's amazing. Uh, dude, so I would, I'm curious, you know, uh, I mean, you know, you're humble, but I mean, you had a very, very good career at Washington State and you were, you were a dog, man. It was fun watching you guys play, especially on defense. Um, I mean, before I ask you, I, I'm going to, you can think about your favorite memory game as a, as a Coug. Um, and then I want to make this transition into music, but first, so I want a favorite memory, but also um, Coach Grinch. I've always been fascinated with Coach Alex Grinch. You know, he's at, he's at USC now. Um, I know one of, you know, your best friends at Washington State when you were there, Peyton's over there, Bulldog's yeah. over there. Um, uh, coach, there's a bunch Dude, of coaches over there like, from Waz. It's like, like a little, uh, Coach Odom's yeah. over there. I saw Coach it's Odom. It's like a little reunion, bro. It's crazy. Yeah, dude. I saw Coach Odom at, uh, I saw Coach Odom and Coach Grinch over, uh, we took a group of kids to some, uh, some camps, like satellite camps. I saw Coach yep. Grinch and Coach Odom. It was awesome. We were bullshitting, but just good people. I always, uh, I would listen to the, to the, um, you know, those oh, halftime yeah. speeches yeah. and shit and all the speeches that he'd give the defense and, uh, I would, I would be creeping, but I would, I always wanted to know what it was like to pl actually play under coach Grinch on the defensive side. Man, it was, a uh, it was like night and day from what we were, that was part. I, we owe a lot of that growth. I owe a lot of that growth, my personal growth, uh, our growth as like players on defense, like all of that. I think in those last few years, the reason we were really able to dial things in is because of Alex Grinch and his staff and like what he was able to cultivate in us. Like, Everything was just so before it was just kind of like wishy-washy, like, like kind of just go through the motions without like, why are we doing this? You know what I mean? And coach Grinch is the first, he, his first meeting. I think I was actually the first player to, to meet him because I was like coming into the studio, into the studio, into the uh, facility for treatment. And, <laughs> um, he was on the elevator with Dave, Dave Emmerich and Dave was like giving him the tour. And so that, that elevator, like through the tunnel and we were like going up and I was like, I think this is our new DC. And then, uh, Emmerich was like, Oh, uh, Dawson, <laughs> this is, uh, Alex Grinch. And I was like, Oh, nice to meet you. And, um, he was just very chill. I was excited to see like a young dude, first of all, like some energy and everything. And then, but bro, from the first meeting he held, like one of the very first thing he things he said on his little slide was like, pull up the slideshow, whatever. The first thing, it was like every possible bowl game that we could have gone to that year. And uh, he was like, um, just to let you guys know, we're going to we're going to one of these fucking games. Like, I don't know which one it's going to be yet, but we're going. Like, that's not, a, that's not a negotiable. That's nothing. We're going to one of these games. And then he was like, how are we going to do it? And then he broke, that was his thing. Like, he had everything broken down to a science to like to a T numbers wise stats. Like he's like, I've been doing this a long time. This is what it takes. Trust me. He would pull up like case studies and all this stuff. And we're like, he, he, there was no, there was no mystical like shit about what he was about. He broke, he brought everything down to earth and said, if we do this, if we get two takeaways a day uh, in practice, we get two takeaways a game, we get doom, doom, doom. And then he would kind of adjust that, you know, as we needed to, but um, it was all just broken down. He just brought everything down to earth and said, this is the groundwork that we need to do in order to accomplish this like big goal of, Oh, we want to be, you know, we want to win this bowl game. We want to do this. Like, okay, then this is, and that's one thing that in my life I've like 
I've, I've tried to, to really do is like demystify. If I have a goal, if I have anything, it's like you need to, everything can be broken down into logical steps. And that's where people get caught is because they get, they get like, they like to dream about, that's what we did our first couple of years, my first couple of years at Wazoo. We're like, oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We would say like, break on roses for the Rose Bowl. And it's like, but nobody, and then I'm looking over here and guys are cheating reps, like getting caught, you know, it's like there are, there are tangible, actual practical steps that you need to take if you're going to actually be able to accomplish a goal like that. And there was just too much, like, we knew it sounded good. Oh yeah, let's break on roses. Let's go to the Rose Bowl. But no, the culture was not even close to being there. So what Grinch did is he not only set up the standard, but he like broke it down, brought it down to earth. And um, it's, it's like every day, some little Grinch-ism like will pop into my head. Like he has all, he had all these sayings and he would just, that was, he and Leach both were very consistent in their messaging. Nothing, our game plans didn't like change week to week. Um, and he made sure we knew that just because we're playing Christian McCaffrey or just because we're playing freaking, um, you know, Justin Herbert or whoever the hell, like it, we were who we were. And this is, and, and he even went as far as like to say, we wouldn't say turnovers because we we're doing this shit. Like we're taking the ball away. We're doing takeaways. You know what I mean? Everything was like about us and what we can do. We're not just playing defense. It was just a very like assertive minded defense defense. Um, and that was the first time we'd seen that. And we're like, shit. Okay. And, uh, he held us to it. Like he, he was, uh, he was on our asses. Like that first year was really all it took kind of. And we went to a bowl game. We beat Miami, obviously in the Sun Bowl and everything, but, um, Mm-hmm. It really just took that year, and there were some ugly games, man. Like early in the season, uh, the Portland State—is that what it was? That was 2014. That was. Jeez, the, I remember that. That game. was 2015. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Portland no, 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 State at home. Yeah. Oh yeah, my, my first goodness, game. man. Yeah. Rough, and then like the the um, ugly. <laughs> there was a few of them, man, and and even Rutgers. We pulled that win out, but it was like I remember sitting in the meetings after that. Like, yep. it sounds like we just lost by 60 points. Because that was the standard. We didn't. Yeah. Live, it didn't matter what the scoreboard said. We did not live up to the mm-hmm. standard. We didn't. We didn't play speed D football, mm-hmm. and and we didn't live up to the standard that Grinch has set. And we heard about it. So that was the thing. Like for us, it was just about winning uh, for a little bit, or like, oh, we got to win, like that. Oh, okay, cool. And the coaches were like, Coach Grinch was like, that is not. That's not our brand of football. That's not how we're doing this. And so, like you said. <laughs> I know you, I remember uh, Luke, even like a couple of the guys, whenever we would huddle yeah. up, would like creep over. I remember a bunch of the old linemen would like come into our huddle on defense and uh, just want to hear Grinch <laughs> just because he had that juice, man. Like he made you want to run through a brick wall. And that's something we were lacking uh, before. And he was just so about it and, and just fired us up. And uh, so it was, it was a, uh, it was great to play for him. And the crazy thing too is I went to practice at USC, maybe uh spring ball practice two couple months ago, whenever they were in spring ball. I saw that. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm expecting like to, to, I, it was cool. I got to see, you know, pay Parker beforehand um, and coach Grinch and like, just chop it up and just, just good people, genuinely good people. That's the other thing that was cool about it and why, it, why it made it so special mm-hmm. um, because you could tell he cared about us as people. And, uh, and it's the same, same story today. Like I felt like no time had passed and coach Odom. So we go out 
And uh, yep. I'm like just hanging out kind of through at the facility and everything. We go into meetings. I'm kind of sitting in on meetings and everything. It was a carbon copy. I shit you not. Except he's got his standards down here a little, little bit higher. But first thing he did in the meeting, pulled up the <laughs> Pac-12 championship trophy. And he said, or the, the game like banner or whatever. And he said, you see this? We're playing in this fucking game. And you don't get it. You don't get a choice. You don't get a choice. And I'm like, deja vu all over. And the whole meeting, man. And Coach Man Manning got up there too and was running through his thing. And yeah, and Coach dude, Manning's there too. Yeah, it was insane. So it's just like you wonder why you've seen the success that he's had in his career. And Coach Leach, the same deal. Like these guys are unwavering in what they believe in. And if you can get, I think, I think Coach Grinch's mm-hmm. thing is that he's just like he he can inspire you and he'll light a fire under your ass. And everything he does makes sense. And he shows you exactly what you need to do to accomplish it. And he was sure enough, he showed him the Pac-12 <clears throat> championship. And then he went into, how are we going to do it? Boom, boom, boom. And then he starts pulling up film footage. And he's like, not not like this, not like this. And then he'll show good examples like this, like this. Um, but the crazy thing, too, is that, uh, that, that Sun Bowl year. So he's preaching the whole year. Oh, we need two takeaways mm-hmm. a game two takeaways a game or two, you know, we're, and we're doing it in practice too. We're stripping at the ball. Like it was get ball, see ball, get ball. That's a Grinchism. That's like ingrained in my head. And uh, like we got to literally the last opportunity in the season and we had 23 takeaways, I think. Then he said, if you get two takeaways a game, uh, you'll, you'll win nine games. Uh, if you end the season with 24 takeaways, you'll win nine games or something like that. The last play of the game, we have 23 takeaways. We're eight and four. Yep. Shalom Luani picks the ball off. There's number 24. Yep. There's win number nine. And I was like, this guy's a wizard. Like, this guy's just a – he just has everything <laughs> broken down. So that was part of the coolest thing was that he everything was attainable and and there was nothing. And that's something that when I got to Wazoo – was just not in the culture. It was like that that whole like, oh, we win or lose, we booze, whatever type of deal. Like we don't really care. Um, yeah. We're just cool because we're on the football team and blah, 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 blah. And we're the big men on campus. Um, but like things, because nobody believed that they could actually do anything because that was the cult. And it's a trickle down thing now. Like it's not just the kid's mm-hmm. fault. Like it wasn't the guy's fault on my team. 100%. That came from somewhere. And, the you, top. and I personally saw that transition in some of the coaches that I played for uh, early on at Wazoo in those first couple of years until Mr. Grinch stepped in. And then it was like, what? Like, this is mind blowing that there's somebody who's actually like about this and is making this realistic for us. And it doesn't matter if we're undersized. Or it doesn't matter that we're, you know, where, who you are, what you're doing, whatever. And uh, so, yeah, man, Alex Grinch, like huge, huge part of my like personal mindset development not only my football skills of course um but but it was it was special to be able to play for that guy and i know he's gonna do watching their practice and everything and just i know he's gonna do crazy things at uh at usc as he's done everywhere he's, he's been so i'm excited for sure dude uh so much to um to unpack there too and first of all coach Grinch looks like a fucking hit. <laughs> He looks like he can murder people for a living. That too. Like he, he legit looks like a hitman. And it's funny because I saw him at the camp and he's, and he's standing by himself and you know, people know who he is and like people are kind of looking at him and he's just watching yeah. the kids and I walk over there and like you said, man, they are, 
just genuine human beings, him, coach Odom, coach Manning, you know, rest in peace, mm. coach nickel, man. I love rest that man peace, with all yeah. my heart. Um, you know, but th- those guys from that group were just, they're amazing coaches, but like you said, just amazing, just leadership figures and men and they're about what they preach. And like you said, they're subconsciously just beating these life lessons into you every single day without you even knowing. And to the point where, yeah, do that 2015 year was magical. I mean, uh, ending the game with interceptions was like Shalom Luani's fucking like signature know, move. I remember he iced the game against <laughs> Oregon in double overtime in the fucking rain, like um, just crazy moments. And like you said, man, it was just um, just really, really cool. And I did the same thing. I took so many lessons, you know, even from that defensive side on things that I would hear. And Coach Odom gave one of the best speeches I've ever heard. I don't know if it was 15 or it was 16 because Sherman Dude. was on the team. So it was 16. Where you at, Sherman? Um, and uh, remember when we were getting ready in a special teams meet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right here, Coach. <laughs> and, uh, Dude, I got, I, oh, I still get goosebumps so just man. thinking about these, these times, man. But it's, uh, Odom was like, uh, you know, we're getting ready to watch a, a highlight film or something for special teams. And, and Odom goes, I don't need a fucking highlight yep. film to fire me up. And he just started talking. The whole room was just like, yep. oh my God, let's go kill somebody. And just, uh, just good people, man. So that's, uh, that's amazing, man. Thank you for sharing all of that because that's uh, it's it's truly incredible to be able to go through those things and go through all those hard times, all those fall camps, all those things, and then come to a memory like we're all in. The, I can be in that locker room like it was yesterday in my uh, at the Sun Bowl in El Paso, yeah. Texas, holding that fucking Sun Bowl trophy with that team, man. Like, you know, um, just amazing. So many dudes on that team that pop yeah. into my head, man. Like, oh, I did. Crazy. And, uh, just fucking all these dudes, but um. What was your uh, what was your best? I would say moment. I mean, you could do like you know statistically, but I guess what was your favorite moment, favorite game? Um, you know that you were a part of. Uh, I gotta say, Stanford, uh, twenty sixteen when we stomped them at Stanford. I was sixteen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was, was dope. You got yeah, you guys took that, the yeah. That was game. just that was just huge, and even even just like leading up to the game, like. I, for me personally, that was probably one of the best games of my career too. I had like a fumble recovery and a pick and uh, it was just, yeah, it was just a good game. Mm -hmm. And just like the whole week, it's just one of those weeks that just, you know, you have those games in your head that you're like, you were just dialed in and like the preparation, there was no doubt about the game plan. You had their, you had their schemes and everything. Like you knew what was coming for sure. You've been watching your film. Everything's just practices are going well. Um, you're you're just dialed in for sure, and that was that was huge, and that was a statement game for us, obviously. Um, and I just remember mm-hmm. feeling like we're about to kick their ass, like just leading up to it, and the, and there was no nobody thought, of yeah. course, every game we ever played in was like, oh, I don't know, Wazoo, Washington State's probably not going to pull this one or whatever. They're going to, you know, Oregon's going to be, oh, USC's going to be, oh, like just because they're the names, right? But. I was just so like confident. I remember like yep. going outside before um, before it was time to you know meet up or pregame meal and everything, and I was just kind of like, "We're gonna kick their ass!" Like, I, and I just felt good personally, and it just carried all the way yeah. through the game and into my performance. And I think I was just prepared. Like, I just felt prepared, and that's when you feel the most like present and at peace and like just just let the game come to you like let the let the game flow like re, just um 
react to what comes to you and trust your training. That's like what Loco would always say, like you fall back on your level of training, right? So as long as you put in the, the preparation there, once you get into the game, everything just comes to you and you just trust your training and you execute because you've repped it and you, you know the, the game plan. And that's exactly what happened. And we just, we just beat the shit out of them. And it felt so good, man. Like uh, that was a fun game. And especially because it was like, oh, McCaffrey, he's had all these yards. Yeah. Let's see how many yards he has, you know, tonight. And he has 35 yards, I think, something like that, and didn't even, mm-hmm. like, quit halfway through the game. That was two years in a yeah, row man. you guys. Yeah. Two years in a row you guys held him to under, like, yeah. 100 all-purpose. Because the year before, I mean, we lost on a, you know, we missed, I, you know, I was holding the field goal, but laces were yeah. out. I love my boy Eric, you know. I'm of not going to bring up hard feelings. But, uh, you know, we lost on a missed field goal. Um, on Halloween on ESPN, I remember that fucking game too. But um, no, the following year, that 2016, that 2016 Speed D was taking souls, man. You guys had a swagger about you, even at practice, and that made the offense so much better because going against you guys every day, it was like, dude, I felt so confident, like doing anything, like even especially when I transferred, I was like, dude, right. I want to get some dogs for like two and a half years, bro, and like. So you guys were legit. It, it was just it was just a, a matter of like buying. Like I said, it took us that first year. That 2015 was a little rocky, kind of up and down, but we still stuck to what we still stuck to the plan. We just didn't have we didn't have like the um, we didn't have things in order. So it was kind of a little more chaotic to get to our goal and, and obviously go to that stumble and, and beat Miami. But we still got it done because we just trusted Coach Grinch. The next year we're like, okay, we've been through this. Now we know the defense. We're gonna kind of really let loose a little bit more. And I think we were really able to do that because we saw what the previous year, we saw what it, what we were able to do. You know what I mean? Like we saw what buying in actually got us. And then we're like, okay, let's really focus on our technique and let's really take it even further this year. Um, and, and so that was huge for sure. And it was just all about having an identity. That's what Grinch brought. And that was, that was his goal. We didn't have an identity as a defense. Mm. It was the air raid. The air raid had their identity. You know, Mike Leach is air raid, Mike Leach is air raid. And the Cougar defense, like that, was getting ran all over, scored on. But that was that was Grinch's thing. Like, no, well, why don't we have an identity? We're the Speed D. Like, this is how we're going to play. We're going to play fast. This is our brand of football. We're going to fly around. Uh, we're going to get the football, and we're going to win games. We're going to execute. You know what I mean? And uh, so, just you can't you can't really like. How do you really execute anything if you don't feel like you know who you are? Like, it, it, we're getting a little little out there, but like. As a defense, if you don't have an identity, no matter what you're doing, if you, if you feel like you don't know who you are, how can you really push push yourself all the way through once it gets to an obstacle or like whatever? It's like how can you how how can you fall back on anything? What do you have to fall back on? That was our bottom line: playing fast, you know, flying to the football, takeaways equal victory. Um, just just having an, a sense of identity in that speed D and uh, making it something like. You know, we're not just we don't just go go out there after a four and out you know what i mean like we're going out there to, to kick ass we don't care where the ball is at we're gonna we're gonna do this you know so that was what grinch brought is a, is that speed d that identity sense of sense of a um purpose for our defense for sure so i love that because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get out there we're gonna get out there because you touched it. on um you said we're getting out there a little bit but the identity is uh Man, that's something that um, I've I've struggled with after football. It's a transition thing, and I, I want to get into that transition phase of kind of you know after your senior year and all that. But what I want you you brought up like let the game come to you, 
and, and flow. And you especially, I you know, as a younger player watching the studs on the team, like you were always so calm, cool, and collected. I never saw you get out of character. I never saw your emotions take over. Like you were always the same dude. You were just so consistent with your demeanor and you were always so centered. And I was always so intrigued by it. Like you had this calm nature about you, but it would <laughs> fuck people up. Like you would hit so hard you're this big fucking dude, but you had this calming like nature about you. And I, I just want to know, like, I don't know, was there a routine, you know, were, were you, did you have some type of spirituality? Like, you know, during those years, like, I don't know, like what was, what kept you so centered, you know, during yeah, those absolutely. times? I think it was just uh, spiritual spirituality wise. Like when I was talking about pre Stanford game and everything, I would, I, you know, I'd be in my Bible, I'd be reading, I'd be praying. Frankie and I would always, we were roommate uh, mm -hmm. for most of those years. Uh, Frankie Luvu, who's obviously killing it now with the with the Panthers. Shout out to Frankie. Um, but we would pray every night before the mm -hmm. game. Like um, I think though, in the in the moment, like you know, when you're running out onto the field, like running out into the through the tunnel and everything, and it's so loud. But for me, everything just felt quiet. Like for me, you're just like in your own in your helmet, like in your zone, just running out there. And I would just talk to myself, like, "Let's go!" Like you're the shit. Like I would just kind of hype myself up silently um, just to get my mind right and everything for the game. And, uh, you know, just go down, say my prayer at the goal line or with a few teammates. Um, and then, and then it was just like, we, we knew, we knew that adversity was promised. That's another thing Grinch, Grinch would say. The only thing we knew was what was going to happen today was adversity. So I was like, all right, let's just handle it when, as it comes, like, we're not mm -hmm. going to like worry about it. Like, Oh shit, am I going to, am I going to mess up? Are they going to run this play? What? Don't worry about it. Just handle it. Trust your training when it comes. And then we go to the sideline and we adjust, you know? So I was just very, the game was so games, games were just like calm to me. Like even being out on the field, it, it could be the loudest stadium, but everything is just so calm because we're prepared. You know what I mean? Like I said, the, the Stanford game especially was was huge to me, not because of just the on-field performance stuff, but just like being prepared and flow. Like you said, it's that's just what it was. I was in flow, man. I was just like, I was, everything was clicking. I just felt good physically, like was just not afraid to run around. I was letting loose. I was being myself, having fun. That's what it, that's what it is, right? Um, so I think that was, that was one thing for me. Like, it doesn't matter what's on the scoreboard. You don't need to worry about anything. It's going to be a long game. We got four quarters of football to play. So in the moment, um, the, the more like anchored and just calm you can be, some teammates will look to you in that situation and be like, okay, we don't, there's nothing to panic. Like, don't, don't panic. There's a Tyson thing. Tyson would always say, don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic. Never panic. Just, just be in the moment. And what can you do if something just happened? Okay. It happened. Respond. That's Grinch. It happened. Respond. It happened. Respond. And it's like, you can't control what happened just now. You can't control what's about to happen. Play the next play. You know what I mean? Like, it, I would just try to be grounded, be centered, and be like, all right, we'll fix it. We'll see it. Um, they'll see it up in the box. They'll echo down to us, and we can adjust to it. But there's nothing to panic about. Like, get fired up. Get excited. Um but the second you see guys start unraveling, start pointing fingers at teammates, you hold you hold your teammates accountable. But the second you're you're mm -hmm. do that to help them, you're, you're, there's no blame to be pointed just because you're on a big stage. Like that's not how we rock. But there was never a moment of that. I, I can't. I don't really remember 
like any of that on our team. No. You know what I mean? It was just everyone because we were so tight. It was just such a brotherhood. Guys no. knew when they messed up. You didn't need to berate them or anything like that. Like, um, yeah. And even even if you did make a mistake, um, it's funny that you said that because that's what I Bo told me that uh, I was out with a concussion or something, and we were playing Oregon State that year, 2015, and. I was like on the sideline pregame and he's like, man, you know, what we, we miss like right now is like just your, your steady, like calmness, like your calm calmness. And that's kind of how I am as a person. Mm-hmm. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty like chill, kind of go with the flow, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, I still know who I am. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get worked up over something um, just mm-hmm. because, just because somebody, somebody else would, you know, or like, I'm, I'm just very, very confident. It's like a calm confidence. You know what I mean? Like, I know things are going to work out as I play the next play. You can't do anything about what just happened, play the next play. So I think that's where it came, where it came from mostly. Um, I definitely had my routines before the game. Um, it was mostly just being silent, just focusing, just trying to lock in and, and focus on my job and, and the best way to get it done. And uh, that's, I think that's where, where it came from most of the time. But yeah, once it's time to hit, you gotta hit somebody, man. Like that was that's my my dad would kind of like <laughs> he'd get on me because he's like, man, you're too nice. Like stop being so nice <laughs> off the field. Like it's all right. He's like, you can just make sure you still still keep hitting people. Yeah. Like you can you can be nice and do all this and be Mister Nice Guy on the camera and, and everything and nice to the media and all that stuff. But as long as you keep you know laying the hat once it's, once it's time to get going, and that's. That's football. That's what you got to do. So I know how to turn it on, and I love hitting people. So uh, that was that part was easy. <laughs> no, dude, you you did, you did. You uh, you're like you are the perfect like warrior poet. Is something that I'm very into as far as like uh, you know these people like Joe Rogan talks about it a lot. This uh, Aubrey Marcus. I don't know if you listen to him, but he he talks about just this warrior poet, and it's the perfect yin and yang of these masculine and feminine energies of being calm when you need to, but mm-hmm. also being able to turn it the fuck on when you need to. And like, you are the perfect example of, of those two energies. And it was really, really cool to see on the football field because that was kind of like the first time I've ever really, really seen somebody like that, like of your demeanor. Like I never, I was always so raw, raw, you know, I always mm-hmm. felt like I had to get pumped up. And then like seeing even Luke was pretty, you know, cool hand too. Like he was always chill. Like some of you guys had this demeanor that was like, damn, like when then you go out there and ball out, you know, and it was really, really cool. And then you have the other scene where Gabe, you know, Mark's over there fucking slapping his helmet, getting crazy and doing all his shit, you know. So it's really cool to see different guys um, in how they approach the game. But so moving forward, right, we're done. We're done with uh, our, our great career we had at Washington State. Um, you know, so talk to me about after senior year, like what's going through your head? What's your plan? Um, you know, because this is a very pivotal point for a lot of athletes and a lot of the reason why I like to talk to guys like you and, and other athletes, especially ones that have found another passion or always had this other passion that you dove into, which is music, which we're about to get into. But just this transition phase and, and kind of, you know, were you looking at the NFL? Did anything, what, what happened with that? Just the training and then, you know, kind of. Yeah, so I, had a, I had a pretty bad concussion my my uh, senior year in that Oregon game at Oregon. Which I was, oh man, that that really killed me because mm. that was another game where I was just in flow pregame, everything like going into the game. I was just like, could not wait. I was just so hyped about that game. The environment, you're playing at Austin, like loud. We're kicking their ass right off the bat, and then I had a friendly fire with Hunter actually, and uh, it was like, it was probably my worst 
my worst uh, concussion. I had a handful when I was there. Um, and uh, at yeah. that point, the train is, it was like that point in my, you know, concussion uh, series of, of head injury where they were like, okay, now we got to be a little extra precautious and go through the protocol and everything. But um, I, I was having some like lingering symptoms and stuff. And this is, again, I had, I had battled a lot of injuries um, through my career. That was kind of my, my uh, one thing that, that really, I feel like held me back. Um, everybody has injuries, but like when it's a head injury, obviously you got to be mm-hmm. a little more, more safe about it. Um, 100%. So I got to that one and uh, I, I was, I was uh, <clears throat> kind of struggling to get over some symptoms. Like I was still having lingering he- headaches and everything. I even came back for a practice, I think, and then um, like immediately. And it's tough. With, it's not like a broken leg. Nobody can see your broken leg. Um, you know, where it's not like something that's mm-hmm. obvious. You're obviously hurt because like you're just standing, you just look normal and everything. But you don't want to mess with your brain. And uh, it, it was tough for me. And it was like, man, just tough it out. Like, just go out there and just play. Like, just come on. Like, it's not that. You can't be that bad. But that's obviously probably not the wisest thing to do, as I'm sure some people have known. And especially around that time mm-hmm. is when, like, all the CTE stuff was coming out, like all the research and everything. Um, yeah. So for me, it got to a point where I was having these lingering symptoms. The recovery was taking a little bit longer. I was I was testing out and everything every day and checking in. And it was just, it's an exhausting process. And um, it, they, they actually sent me yeah. out to Seattle to meet with a concussion specialist and all this stuff. And I could tell that the trainers were acting a little bit like, okay, just like kind of like go through the motions with things, but they, they seemed like not ha- like not, ex- n- they seemed kind of somber about things. And so I was, I was kind of like checking in with them as, as things were lingering around, but they sent me out to Seattle, met with this concussion specialist, did all these tests and everything. And it was, it was fine. But, um, uh, they were still like, just based on your symptoms, the length of recovery, the patterns that we've seen, like you should probably consider different career opportunities. And they, that was, I had pushed to get to that point. Like wow. the doctors at Wazoo were, were already saying that, like, no, you're done. And I was like, well, can we do more? Like, can I, can I do some more stuff? Like figure out what's going on. Can I get a second opinion type of deal? And they're like, that's when they sent me out to Seattle. I did all this stuff, still lingered a little bit. And then when it got to that point and they're like, you should probably like hang them up, like, pick a different career they weren't saying like you have to absolutely do this like you're you, they can't say that you know what i mean but um i uh, i got back to mm-hmm. to pullman and um i sat down with the trainers again and they're like you could if you're feeling better like in the next couple we have like three games left they're like if you're if your symptoms subside we can't tell you that you're you're not gonna you can't play like that's your choice at the end of the day, but we are encouraging you like strongly. Like they were, some of the trainers are like getting emotional with me. It was weird, but um, not really because they care about us as humans. But um, I, yeah. I was like, I can't, I, I want to play these last couple games, but I think that at that point, just having gone through this process so many times and like your body eventually just starts taking, things start taking a toll on your body. I want to, I know there's life beyond football. I've always had that perspective. And I know even if I went and played 
six, seven, eight years in the NFL, that day's going to come where football's over. You know what I mean? And at what cost, you know, when you're talking about your brain, you gotta, you gotta have forever. So, um, it was one of the toughest decisions I've ever made, obviously after that being your identity, like we were talking about. Um, but I knew that that's that football wasn't my life. I think my parents did a good job of like instilling that in me that football is not my life. Like that's not who I am. It's something I'm very good at and that I've been able to develop lifelong relationships through and more important things through than the act of playing football, you know? Um, and I had, like you said, I had, I had a solid career um, and I'm grateful for it, every moment of it. And I miss it like hell, man, like so bad. I miss it. Um, mm-hmm. even, even to the point where I'm like, man, you know, some days it's like, oh, I wonder if I, you know, just a little bit, you know, maybe might step out. So the, the one turning point for me was, and what really yeah. kind of put the nail in the coffin for me was, uh, Tyler, um, it, because it was a month after everything was like said and done, not even a month. And I'm battling with like, man, what should I do? Like all my friends are getting ready to go train and do all, all my, everybody in that class getting ready to go train, get ready for the league. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And um, then we get the news about Tyler and everyone obviously was so shocked and just didn't was like, what? It just, it just didn't make sense. And then, so we go to Pullman and then Wilson, um, everybody's like together and everything. And then coach Wilson called me into his office and he's like, Hey, uh, I don't know if you like heard about, um, like the autopsy or, or whatever. And they, they, the brain scans and stuff, but they, it, it was a CTE was like very prevalent. Like it was there. So he just wanted to like, I, I think he was just kind of saying that to reassure me, like, or it's just to, as a coach, it's tough for him to be like, don't play football, obviously. But I think he was kind of saying that in a way um, of just like, this is serious stuff, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that Tyler wasn't going through obviously mm-hmm. other things and we will never know. Um, but that was obviously there. It was present. Right. So we can't mm-hmm. say that it wasn't, didn't have to do with that. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Correlation doesn't equal causation, but I mean that much, I mean, like you said, fucking with your brain, man, like it, it causes you to think differently, act differently, see different, like, it's just, it's your perspective. It's everything about you. So I mean, that was a very scary time. I think that made, I mean, obviously, I mean, fuck, just, just who he was as a person, like you said, was shocking. And then getting that news about his brain, I think it made every football player that knew him or heard about it start to think about that shit. I mean, and then, I, you know, I've never had to an extent that, that you're going through. So to even be in a position that you're going through it, it is like, that's that's a lot, man. That's a lot to take on and a lot and very mature of you to, to reach a, a point. Yeah. And, and it's tough, man. It's, it's something I still battle with. It's like, it's like, uh, <clears throat> when, like I said, it's not like I'm walking around with a broken leg or something during that time and I'm good now. Like my head's fine. Um, but the, the thing that mm-hmm. the trainers kept harping on was like, it could be this one next game. Like you could have one hit, like, cause there's a pattern where you're more susceptible as you, as you have more and the symptoms last longer and everything. So, um, you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to make kind of like a big boy decision there and like really it it's just, Oh man, it was, it was tough. It was very tough. And you talk about identity crisis or 
going through something where you're like, what do I do now? There was, there was definitely a lot of that. Cause even as well as I knew that football wasn't who I was, it's all I've been preparing. I've dedicated my whole life to this. Like I've dedicated everything to get to where I am to finish out the season. And then it got really tough when I'm getting emails and phone calls from scouts and, you know, oh, the Houston Texans just emailed me. Oh, the Green Bay Packers just called my high school coach. Oh, like all this stuff. And it's like, and I had to sit there and type out an email. I've decided to, you know, um, pursue different career opportunities. Anyway, that's all that. So it was tough for sure. Um, but sob story aside, I was laying in the, in the um, training room. And, you know, I've always been into music. You're a music guy yourself uh, with the DJing and stuff. I know. I remember. I remember those parties. Uh, <laughs> but me, Taylor and I, <laughs> yeah. Talulu, we were the second I got on campus. And even and I started like in middle school, mm -hmm. I started messing around with like music, garage band, all this stuff. Transitioning kind of um, into logic and stuff and okay. actually producing a little bit more um, in high school and college. Mm -hmm. And then linked up with Taylor, whose locker just so happened to be right next to mine. And we played the same position and all this stuff. And so it was like first, second week of, you know, being on campus even. And uh, Taylor was like showing somebody a beat he made or something. And I was like, oh, you make music? And then from there, it was like instant whatever. Second practice was over. We were like cooking up music and stuff um, early on. And that continued through, through college. Like the second practice was done go eat, go home, start making beats, like start making music, whatever. And uh, that was always there. It was just what I wanted to do. That's just how I could like, that was my remove, remove from the day of football and uh, just let loose and just be creative. And just, it was my outlet, you know, my little escape. And then, um, so I'm laying in the training room, fast forward to that whole last concussion. I'm laying in the training room. My sister's living in LA at the time. And I, I'm like, this might be it. I'm finally having the, like the moment of like, maybe this is like, this is it. Like this might be the last one and uh, the last go around. And I'm just laying there like, well, what, what am I going to do? You know, they have you like sit in a training room when you have a concussion or whatever, like the whole day you can't do anything. And I'm just like sitting there thinking. And uh, I'm like, well, people are really liking my music and I've gotten a lot better at it. You know, I'm not just going to go, get some job that I hate for nine to five all, you know, all week and then go start that whole party on the weekend thing. Like that's not me, but all my friends were doing as they were graduating. And, um, I'm like, I'm going to do something that I'm still passionate about and, and, and just be, be uncommon. And, uh, so, so I was like, how could I really make this work? So my mind instantly met, went to like, Oh, move to LA or like, go do this. So I was trying to do what Grinch did, for us, you know, like break down the steps. So if I, once I had decided on music, it was like, okay, well, where do I need to be? What do I need to be doing? And so instantly kind of just started planning on how to get around um, that kind of uh, environment to get around music. And LA was on the list. My sister was already living here. So I hit her up. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about like maybe moving down to LA and pursuing some music stuff um, once I graduate. And, or I had already graduated actually. I was like at the end of the or it comes springtime or whatever it was. And she was like, yeah, totally do it. Blah, blah, blah. And um, mm -hmm. I didn't know what that would look like. That was just so foreign to me. Nothing about the music industry. I didn't know anything. I just knew how to make music. That was it. But I was like, screw it. Like, what do I don't have any debt. Thanks to shout out like to Wazoo for the scholarship. <laughs> like, no, nothing. I got to like pay off. I don't have to go rush off and get a job. <laughs> like, I can just uh, 
I can just kind of take my time. And so I spent those few months after college, like working a lot on music and I was able to connect pretty quick, like through this whole music thing. It's amazing what you can like, who you can connect with. I was like connecting with artists in Seattle just from posting on Instagram and stuff like that. And some pretty well-known, like well, well-known well known artists. Um, and uh, Marky well, Mark, Basie. Mark, uh, Mark how do you say, how do you pronounce his really last name? So yeah, so, yeah that okay, story is kind of crazy. Yeah. 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 So, so that, you're, you're that was ahead. like not until later when I moved to LA and I was like just getting a job. Um, I got into personal training at that point. Um, and that was to pay the bills and stuff while I was trying. Mm. With oh, yeah, you were working <laughs> yeah. with. Uh... It's called Nucleus. What were you doing? Yeah. You had the but, uh, uh, but yeah, that Nucleus. Was even, yeah, yeah. That was even later. But so at this point, I yeah. just moved to L.A., got a job working at Equinox as a trainer. And so the crazy thing is Basie had done a show. Mm. He did Spring, Spring Fest at Wazoo in 2016, I want to say. And Taylor had just put me onto his music. And so we were like, we were listening to his stuff all the time. And then Taylor tells me that, uh, cause Taylor was really pursuing, pursuing music at that time too. And he was done playing and, uh, he was opening, he was like one of the openers at Springfest. And, uh, he's like, bro, you should come, like, come to the show, come backstage and we can, you can like meet Marky Basie. And I was like, what? Okay, cool. And Waka Flocka too. And, uh, Travis Thompson actually is a rapper yeah. from Seattle. Um, and so I, uh, we had our spring game that day. So I like rushed home after we got back from the spring game and like took off for the concert and I missed everybody's performance. Cause we were, cause Leech talks forever. So I obviously missed that, but, uh, got <laughs> after the spring game, threatened to yeah. Tuesday practice and stuff, but, uh, <clears throat> got back to Pullman, rushed yep. off to the show, get backstage. I got to meet Mark and, uh, walk a flock and like all these people. And I felt all cool. And then Basie's like, yo, what are you guys doing after this? Like, let's go, let's go hang out. Let's go party or whatever. So we're like, uh, we got two bars here, my guy. Uh, but let's go, let's go up to V-Hall. So we went to Valhalla and uh, there were like playing darts <laughs> and it was hella fun. And I was like a little starstruck and stuff. But then, um, which feels weird to say now, but um, then we went back to Taylor's house and we're like showing, yeah. we're showing him Taylor's music and all this stuff. And it was crazy because we were just like fans of his and stuff. Fast forward three years, two years, two, two years. And uh, I'm training at Equinox and guess who walks in the door? Marky Basie's a, a member there. And so I was like, oh shit. Like, and it had been a few years and I'm like, it took me a minute too, because I was just adjusting to being in LA and I was like seeing these stars everywhere and all this stuff. And then, so it took me a minute before I actually went up to him and was like, hey man, I don't know if you remember me. But there was a moment one day, I'd, I'd even like seen him, interacted with him a couple of times. And then uh, I was just kind of being, playing small and like just not thinking about why I was in LA. And then I had a moment where I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like I came to LA to make music connections. And this guy, who I already have a warm connection, like we already know each other from before, like just walked, it literally just walked in the door. So why am I not jumping on this? And I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go like talk to him and everything. And I was like, Hey man, I don't know if you remember, but you did show a wazoo back in 2016. And then we like hung out after and I shot, we had a picture from Valhalla and he's like, Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And, uh, I thought he was just saying that. And then he's like, Oh yeah. And then we were playing darts at that bar afterwards. That what's it called? Well, he has like crazy memory, I guess. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, well, let me train you. And so I started training him 
and I was slowly kind of trickling in the fact that I made music and I would show them a song here and there. And um, then it got to like, he was enjoying the training and everything and he was about to go on tour and he was like, Hey man, like we need somebody on tour to help us like stay in shape and to also help me record on the bus. And I was like, I quit, like quit my job damn near like that day. And we said, we set everything up. He's like, come on tour with us. I was like, say less, got on the bus in Philly. And then that started like a two year run. And it was like, um, I got to produce a song for him. We still kind of work together. We have a, we have a song together now since I've started my, my artist journey and stuff, which is pretty sick, which will hopefully come out uh, sometime soon. But um, it's, it's crazy, man. Like if you would have just told, told me, you know, that night at Wazoo, like, Oh, you're going to work with this guy or you're going to be homies with like your friends. Like it, it's like crazy what life can do. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of that is comes from me being like, like you were saying, just like letting things kind of flow and just taking the right steps. And then um, when opportunity presents itself, you got to jump on it. And I, I was kicking myself a little bit at first for not just like right off the bat, like Mark, let's train, let's whatever. But, you know, it takes a little time and everything happens in, in its own time for a reason. Um, I will tell you, though, yeah. man, like what really got me to to put myself out there is this book, maybe you've heard of it, called The Tools um, by Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels. I don't know if you know that book, um, but it does that. that no, I'm, I love books. Bro, so I would have put it on, one of my put it on the list. Um, that book, like, well, I, I keep talking about demystifying and bringing things to practical use. It's like one of those like development books, self-development books, but it's different in that it's not just telling you what you need. It's not just like, this is what's wrong with you, or this is this is what you got to stop doing. This is blah, 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 blah. It's like practical in the moment things, words to say, thoughts to, to think, like feelings to to feel and and just a process it's literal processes for 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 um, accomplishing things you want to through the right mindset. So that thing I read that book at the perfect time, obviously. And it was like, you know what? One of the main things was um, when you know there's something you got to do and you, you can't get yourself to do it for whatever. It's just perspective. It's like I had to go and engage with Mark. I had to go and like talk to him. Go. It sounds corny like saying it now, but or I feel silly saying it because we're such good friends now. But like um, I had to be like, I love pain. Like this painful, this an acute pain. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, ah, this, you're uncomfortable. Like it's painful, but you have to literally change your own mind. Uh, I forget what they call it. The, uh, um, I forget how, how they actually phrase it. But the, the phrase that you say is um, the, oh, reversal of desire. That's what it's called. So if you can convince yourself that you're excited for something um, that you mm. don't want to do, you're obviously more likely to do it. So when you, when you recognize a pain in your life that you need to go after, you need to lean into, you say, I love pain. I love pain. I love pain. I love pain. And I use that in college too. And it's funny because Manning, all these lessons and stuff that you learn, um, they're all just packaged differently, right? It's the same lesson just comes, comes at different times and in different packaging. So we're going through maneuvers that first year Grinch is there. So it must have been your first one. Yeah, it must have been your first one. When did you get there? Did yeah, you 15. get there in, uh, mm -hmm. Fuck. in the Brutal. winter or 
Summer. Okay, so, uh, so no, the so one that before. Been, no. Either way, yeah. so you know the you know uh, summer. The, um, okay, <laughs> yeah. it was yeah, Manning, shitty. and he told, and, and we're Taylor and I were like going through drills with safeties and everything, just everybody's struggling, and Taylor's like, "Man, you got to just tell yourself like this is what Manning just told me." He's like, "When you start to feel really shitty, you got to tell you like convince yourself otherwise. You got to say, I feel great.'" I feel good. I feel great, man. I feel great. I love, I love this. Like I feel great. And, um, <clears throat> I was like, you sound crazy. Cause I feel terrible right now. But, uh, that's the thing, man. Like if you can convince your mind <laughs> something, your body will follow, right. Or your, your actions will, will follow. So the whole time we're Taylor and I just screaming at each other, like Taylor, how you feel? I feel great. Like dying, like cramping up all this stuff. And, um, it got us through, man. It was like, that was my first example of that. But then it carries on into life, like just going and doing what you have to do. I love pain. I feel great through this pain. Um, I know this is what I have to do to get to where I want to be. I'd rather suffer this immediate, transient, harsh, like intense pain and discomfort that maybe will last like seconds or minutes. Um, and then probably everything. And at least I'll know on the other side, like that I did what I was supposed to do. Or I can live with a dull, chronic, evil, like resentment for myself the rest of my life for not or whatever. Once this opportunity passes and it doesn't come again, and uh, and I have to live with that, and that's going to be way worse and just eat away at you. Um, and you'll you'll still not know. You'll you'll never know that way. Even if I had gone up to Mark that day and was like. Yo, man, like, I don't know if you remember this. He's like, no, fuck you. I don't remember you or I don't want anything to do with you. It's like, all right, well, boom, check that off the list. Done. On to the next, you know, potential opportunity. So that's something I've had to learn in, in being in a new, like, arena and a new, it's easy with football because, um, not easy, but it's it was simple because I had so much training with it. But to be able to, like, have that self-talk and push through things and push through more physical discomfort. But when it comes to like a social thing or just like being an entrepreneur or um, stepping out of your comfort zone in those ways, it's the same lesson. You just have to flip it in a different way and just like feel that pain a little bit differently, you know? Um, but it's been cool. And, and there's, there's so much that, uh, that I've learned, relearned, I should say that I like connect the dot with football. So football has been the, the, absolute base and my just athletics in general for for everything i've been able to accomplish i'd say this far it's pretty amazing yeah dude that was uh well first of all incredible um because i remember when i i would see you post you know you, you were with him with mark and i'm like damn that's fucking dope because i knew of him um at those times too but dude just like everything you were saying like discomfort equals growth and you have to do hard shit in order to grow. And you have to, mm -hmm. I like to say dance with fear. I believe that fear is your compass. And I read this book called the war of art and it talks about how resistance right hits there. hardest at the finish line and how, yeah, Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, I mean, you know all about that then. So that I developed this whole dance with fear. Like, man, if it, if I'm scared of it, that means I'm supposed to be doing it. And like you said, you see Mark and there's those moments where you're like, fuck, should I go talk to him? And, my uh my partner my my homie Luke always likes to say like you know what's the alternative like what if you if you don't go talk to him you're gonna be right in the same spot you might as well just go fucking talk to him like you yeah. said at least I'll know if he says no right I mean so that whole concept of just 
burning the boats. I mean, you send it to LA, you, you love music, you follow your heart and you're like, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. And I mean, that's like everything that, like you said, being uncommon, that's what this whole thing stands for is people that are willing to burn the boats, bet on themselves, take that risk and just take an uncommon route and create their own lane. Um, and so we've landed on side street. <laughs> what, why that's, that's your name when you get up there in, in music and that's what you go by. Um, What's what? Why Side Street? What is there? Yeah, is there so something tied into that? Having a having an artist name or finding an artist name, uh, for me was like a a long journey and just like that was when I was a little bit more like hesitant and just like didn't know. I just wouldn't pull the trigger on anything. Um, and I had ID when I was in college, but that's like the most generic thing. So for, from like a from like a SEO marketing standpoint, that's not <laughs> much for me. Um, so I had to come up with something and I, and I wanted it to be something that's like, <laughs> um, kind of special to me, obviously there's like a little bit of a story behind, um, for me, the side street, like growing up, um, it's all about, for me, it's also about just staying like me through the whole thing, like just stay true to, to obviously myself. So growing up, um, my house, there was like a, there was like a street kind of off, uh, adjacent to, to where I, where I grew up. And that's where like everybody would go and play and like all the um my sisters and i and my buddies in the neighborhood would go and like mess around there was tree houses and like basketball hoops and like kids was scared. that's where i learned how to ride a bike skateboard all this stuff and we called it the side street and so um that's just like i was just thinking about like home when i was trying to come up with a name and i think i might have been at home like sitting there and then i was like hmm uh side street and it sounded kind of weird, like to some people it just sounds weird, but then I'm like thinking about other names like, oh, The Weeknd or like other, like it's your, it's, it's my thing. Like Side Street, it just made sense to me. Um, uh, mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll, I'll go with that. And at that point I was like, once I felt pretty good about it, I just had to pull the trigger because I was at a point where I was like, I need to just start doing more, doing more, burning bridges, doing more, um, putting more out and just getting shit done. So pick the name, go with it and just be done with it. And it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I like it. I like the ring to it. I like how I've kind of been able to brand it a little bit and, um, I'm still building it and I'm still trying to figure it out. And I, um, a lot of the stuff we were just talking about too, like the, oh yeah, like you sent it and you went to LA and all this stuff. Like it's an everyday thing though. Like that's the thing that's so beautiful about it too, is that's a decision. Like you gotta be, you gotta find discomfort every day and find ways to push yourself if you're gonna grow. Like, it's not just like, oh, you moved to LA, oh, you went on tour with Marky Basie, and oh, you produced these songs, and oh, you released an EP, and oh, you did this stuff, uh, now you're good. Like, I'm still not even close to where I wanna be. Those are just some of the steps that I've kind of come down and, and been able to map out, but it's like every single day, I'm trying to find ways to grow, and I'm still battling, obviously, with some of those uncomfortable steps that need to be made. I'm more used to them now. I have more experience with it. And I know that feeling now. And it's crazy because when that feeling comes up now, it's like, that's what I have to do then. That's what I, exactly what I have to do. Then that's, that is your indicator. Like, should I do this? And then that feeling comes up and then you're like, yep, I got to do it. So you just got to send it. You got to love, love that kind of feeling. And then also, this is something I talked to my girlfriend about too. Um, it's like when that kind of, um, anxious kind of feeling that pit in your stomach that like what if kind of moment comes 
instead of viewing it like something you have to um, resist. I like how you put it, dances, dance with, with the fear. Like rather than just like trying to resist it or push it away or avoid it at all, all costs, which is the natural reaction, just allow it, like just let it come. And then just be like, like work with me, like take that. Cause, cause I actually heard that your brain doesn't know the difference between being nervous or excited for something like your physio physiological reaction is exactly the same for both. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why would you not just turn that into excitement? And for me, that's been, that's been flipping the what ifs to positive. What if everything goes well? And I think you've touched on this before in your, in your, um, I've seen on, you, you touch on this before on social media and stuff, but like, what if everything works out perfectly and you can feel like physically that change, like it just eases a little bit. And then you kind of start to get excited about it. Like, Oh yeah, that maybe that could actually happen and work out for me perfectly. Um, so it's just about using that feeling and like, and like pushing it forward, teaming up with that kind of like that, that juice, that make it, make it good juju and like push it forward. You know what I mean? Into something that, that serves you. Um, has, that's been huge for me on like a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm still, still working on getting it dialed in, but you know, we all are. Dude, this, uh, this journey, like you said, to self-development, to self-discipline, to be world-class at what you do, it is a daily practice. It's a daily commitment. Like you said, a daily choice. And the thing, I definitely want to talk, talk about those feelings because I think there's a couple things with those feelings when they come up, first of all, people label them. Oh, my anxiety. Oh, I'm, my depression. Like we give it a name. Exactly. Like it's really just an energy. That's all it is, but we're giving it a name. And so the thing is when you feel it start to come up and you start to get some, you know, pre symptoms, like maybe you start to sweat right. or shake a little bit. Some people, it hits everybody differently in different situations, but it starts to come up. And like you said, most people push it down. The problem with pushing it down is then it's just building and compounding. And then what the universe or God does is put another mm -hmm. obstacle in your way to try to let that out. So it comes up again and then you push it down. So like you said, in order to deal with it and get better at it is, is letting go. And this concept of letting go was something that I never understood until recently. You know, I read this book called The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer, and it really, it really broke letting go down for me. And it's like when something comes up, you literally pinpoint it, pinpoint it in your body. What are you feeling? What's going on? Don't name it. Don't label it. Just pinpoint what's going on in your body. You breathe, you relax, you, you feel where you're tense. You're like, oh, just relax mm -hmm. that. And then just let the energy pass through. All it's trying to do is pass. But like you said, so many people are scared of these feelings and emotions that we just push it down. And honestly, as men, as you know, athletes, as football players, oh, like, you, like when you have the concussion, just keep pushing, just keep going. You know, no, like see what's going on. Like examine, work with your body, work with these emotions and then use it to your advantage. Like you said, trick your brain like this is excitement or label right. it as excitement. Oh, I'm getting a little excited. Like I'm not anxious, I'm getting a little excited. So I really like that you you touched on that, especially in your industry, man. I mean, it's very um, it's a very subjective industry and it's very vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there on your music all the time. And, you know, so I'd really like to hear kind of the process that you go through as an artist and I guess kind of like what you're, what you're doing right now, what you're cooking up right now. I have a bunch of your <laughs> songs, you, man. man. I, your vibe's dope. I mean, for people that I'll... Uh, I'll probably play um, for the intro. An intro. I'll let you pick the pick a song, but cool. I want to play a, a song of yours on the intro when I post this. But um, yeah, it's a vibe. Even my girl was talking. She's like, "Who is this?" And I was like, oh, "That's my boy Isaac, man." The side street. She's like, "Oh, he's a vibe." I was like, "I know it's dope." And so, um, 
I would, I would just like to know your, your process behind everything and kind of, uh, you know, how you get into this mood, you know, when you're creating and then honestly, sure. just what you're, that's, what you're a, that's right another now, thing too, um, about turning something that has previously been a hobby or, or kind of an escape for so long and trying to flip it into a career is, uh, you got to do stuff when you don't feel like it. You know what I mean? Like before it was like, Oh, get done with practice, go home, sit down, try to cook some music. If, if I'm not feeling it, I'll just go play video games with the roommates or something. You know what I mean? I'll just like go do something else. It's like, Oh, it's not, it's not like I have to do this, but <clears throat> now it's become a non-negotiable. It's like, I sit down every day. I have to do something. It doesn't matter if it's trash. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, because once you're in the routine, obviously the more opportunities you have um, for, for that inspiration to hit. And so if you're sitting down the same, the same way and I'll approach things differently. And sometimes I'll kind of let things just come to me. Um, Sometimes I'll have an idea. Sometimes I'll be a lot of times, actually some of my best songs or some of my favorite songs personally have been like, I've been like washing the dishes or like doing something random, like on a hike. And then I'll just get, Boom. It's just like something hits me like where I'll get a melody or I'll get a verse or I'll get a little like uh, rhyme, like one single little thing. And then I have to get my phone out and record it right away. That's the one thing that also I've been become less like shameless about. I don't even care if I'm like sitting at dinner with my girl. I'll be like, I got to I got to record something real quick. <laughs> like, just lean over into my voice note, whatever, because you never know when that's going to pass or when that's going to hit again. So um, it's definitely become become a like I'm still learning about it, about being more disciplined and finding the right time because it's also tricky too. Like a lot of my stuff, I've, you know, pulled an all nighter and finished a song, started a, started a new song at like 2 AM. And then like over the course of a few days, like finish it or whatever. But that inspiration really doesn't strike until um, 2 AM or whatever. I found that a lot of it has to do with my environment. I have to have an environment that's, that's conducive to, to creativity. If my studio is a mess, which a lot of times it is, and I need to get better about it, but if my studio is a mess, if things are out of place, if there's clutter all over my desk, if there's like, um, you know, a to-do list somewhere, like just in my mind, I have a bunch of clutter, like there, that's not, inspiration can't pass through. Cause that's one of the things that like you're saying, passes through and it's your, your idea, which or it's your, um, choice, what you want to want to grab onto, right. And turn into something. So for me, it's like, if I don't have an environment that's just flows, like just physically, again, it sounds kind of out there, but like, you gotta, you gotta, the feng shui is like a real thing, Like you gotta have, um, a space that can mm-hmm. encourage creativity and just lock it, focus your mind. And that's in what, whatever you're doing. If you're, if you're working a nine to five, if, you're, if your desk is a mess, like your, your work's gonna, that's gonna subconsciously be on your mind. You're gonna have to uh, you know, oh, my desk is a mess. I got to do this. I got to do that. So it's been about setting myself up for success in that way. Um, and then my process actually, when it comes to songwriting, um, I think that most of the time it comes, I, I consider myself a producer first or like my productions inspire my lyrics a lot of the time. So uh, I don't really sit down and like, write out an entire song without um, without music or so I'll sit down and I'll start making a beat um, or or recording something on the guitar or the piano or whatever and, and just loop it and just replay it 
and then try to come up with a little vocal melody on top of it and just mumble, hum, whatever into the mic. And then I'll listen back and I'll be like, oh, it kind of sounds like I said this right there. And then so I'll go in and I'll try to write around that single word or that little phrase. And I'll be like, what's the mood of this song? Like, how can I actually build a song and flesh it out? So it starts with like a little one word even, and then just becomes more and more and more. And then I kind of take the beat and I'll fit it around what the lyrics are about and, and try to change the mood to it too. Um, but it varies, man. Like it, it, it's different kind of every time. Um, so I battle with myself creatively trying not to like put myself too much in a box where like, I have to do this right now. Um, I have to uh, come up with something right now. Like I, you can't force creativity, obviously, because any pressure on creativity kills it. So um, I, I just, I instead of doing that and like having an exact plan each time, I'll have the time set and I'll come in and I'll do, uh, fill that time however, however inspiration hits. Um, so that's been been good, and there's always something to work on too, because it's more than just the music. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a business that I'm trying to trying to develop and and get things running with. So there's always something to work on related to it. Um, it's not my full time thing yet, but obviously that's the goal. Um, so just trying to tip the scale to where that's taking up more more mm -hmm. things, and that takes discipline too, because you get done with the day job, and then it's like. All right, gotta gotta get in there and get it done. You know what I mean? This is this is why I have this day job. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing um, when I'm outside of here. So now's the time to really lock in, um, and that's usually not a problem for me, just because I love it and I'm genuinely passionate about it. Um, but there's always something to work on for sure. Uh, right now, I know you asked what I got cooking. Do you have any questions? Or Go ahead. I have time for a while. Oh, I mean, I'm just getting fired up because I'm just like, you know, you like, you know, like you said, it's not my full time gig yet. And I, that's likewise with me with this podcast, man. Like, so we're going to have another fucking episode here one one yeah. day soon where we're both doing our shit and we're on the come up, you know, we're documenting this process, which is why I love and more people need to tap into that, man. Like it, it's this burn the boat mentality. And I love how you talked about how you, you know, maybe you were a little shamed at first of recording your song and doing your thing. And I really relate to that where if I want to record something, something strikes, something hits me and I want to record it, but I may, maybe I'm in public maybe. And I start to get a little shame and I've been battling with that too. And I'm sure a lot of other people do <laughs> when you're like, Oh, like what are they going to think? And like this imposter syndrome. And, and the thing is, like you said, when you just fucking mm -hmm. commit to it, like, nah, I'm an artist. This is what I do. This is my shit. This is my craft. This mm -hmm. is me perfecting my craft and letting my magic come out. Like I really fucking respect that. That's something that I think that's one of the first steps to fully mm -hmm. making it full time is getting rid of that shame and being like, no, this is what I do. This is my magic. This is what the fuck I do. So I really, really love that. Um, and not man, just, you definitely tell me what you're cooking up with, but I just love the fact that you were talking about like, man, this is, I mean, why you're doing this. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, it's inevitable, you know, it, it, the world's just catching up and I'm just excited for, you know, when, when this part two comes yeah, out, bro. you fucking had this sold out show and all this shit. We got a live <laughs> podcast. We'll fly you out next time. We're going to yeah. have an actual studio, no virtual yeah, shit. We're going to do, do it big. Um, so, real quick, I yeah, want to touch on though, that, right that whole kind of like shame thing. Um, just like I, when you, that's one of those feelings, right? Like when you're in that moment, you're like, mm. oh, what if these people judge me? Then it's like, when you actually say that out loud, how stupid does that sound? You're never going to see this random person again. Or like, uh, nobody, nobody gives a shit, man. Like nobody cares, which is the most 
can sound like depressing, like, oh, nobody cares. But it's also the most freeing thing. Nobody gives a shit. Like, nobody cares. So just do your thing. Like, whatever. Uh, and you'll you'll realize that all the things that, like, so much of our suffering, I know they say, is, like, in our minds. Um, and we just create these issues. So when I, when mm. I have those kind of things pop up or, like, uh, again, like the what ifs we were talking about earlier. Like, what if somebody's, like, uh... <laughs> I don't know. What if somebody's in the music industry or whatever? And they're like, oh, that was a bar. Like you just recorded in your phone or like you connect with somebody or what if something goes well? You know what I mean? What if nobody cares? What if people just go, don't even acknowledge you or whatever if that's what you want? Like it doesn't matter, man. Like you just, it's identifying, but it's identifying where that's actually coming from. It's like, no, it's it like doesn't. W- once that you feel that feeling, um, you can't mm. let it dictate what you're going to do. You can, you can, you can recognize it. And then you can say, what, like, why am I actually feeling that way? Is that it's based on something that's not even real. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's that about the same stuff. But were you going to say something? No, I, I, I feel that because, yeah, I was just going to say that, like, all the times that I've felt that shame come up and I almost didn't post what I wanted to post, Almost every single fucking time that I posted that piece that I was hesitant about or recorded something, I I got something in return, whether it helped yep. somebody or like set me up with a network or, you know, made a connection with somebody that's going to help me in the future. Like something good has always come out of it. So like you said, like that's that indicator. Yeah, like exactly. you're starting to feel shame about exactly. it, then that's you need to huge. fucking do it. Um, like, what am I cooking up right now? Um, so I talked a little bit about like the whole, the business it being like my music being a business, obviously. And, uh, I'm trying to, um, be a little bit mm-hmm. better about like compart staying organized. Okay. So like, so like there are so many different avenues in music and as the fact that I can, you know, produce, record, write, and do all this stuff myself. Um, I'm just kind of like learning and realizing like not everyone can do that themselves. So how can I offer that stuff to other people, um, where they might need it? Well, how can I, how, Cause I might be a little bit better at producing than this person, but they're a really good writer. Um, I might be a better writer than this guy or he doesn't write at all, but he makes beats and he has this artist, you know, he works with a lot and needs some help writing or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of get a little bit more organized and I've been lately, I've been working a lot on, um, my production and trying to stretch my production a little bit more and, and, um, not really, just kind of change my sound. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying not change my sound, but, but, um, stretch it, you know, just, just, just dabble in different areas and find it. Absolutely. And, find it. um, and, uh, it's been fun and it's allowed me to connect with new people. And just, I think one thing that I'm, what I'm working through too, um, if I'm being honest is like, I take pride. I take like all this pride in being like, a one-stop shop and like being able to do it all sometimes to the point where it's like, Oh, I might not want to, um, be so inclined to collaborate with people. Cause I'm like, no, I can do that myself, but there's such a, like, there's such a, uh, cool, like connection with people. Not, I love when people connect to the music that I put out, 
but being able to collaborate with someone or like be in the studio with them and they come up with something and you're like, oh, but what if you did it a little bit like this? Or what if you did it like this? And you just bounce ideas back and forth. And I have a handful of people who I really vibe with like that, who I've kept close. Um, but it's a special thing. So I'm trying to kind of be a little bit more of like stretching or opening my circle a little bit more just to see um, who else I can collaborate with. So that's been another focus of mine. And then um, just getting business dialed in. Like I have a, I'm working on a deal, a little small, like nothing crazy, a little deal with a, a, what's called a sync licensing company. So like to get my music placed in TV and film and stuff like that. And that's like my first official deal. And I have like a, a feature on um, uh, yeah. another artist um, through one of Mark's old managers uh, on their song. And so I'm just getting things like dialed in to the point where it's like, no, this is a business. You know what I mean? Like, this is legit. This is like, you're saying like going legit, like getting everything dialed into where it needs to be. And, um, it's taken a little bit of a toll, I think, or I've let it, um, I haven't set myself up to, to make, to not let it affect my creation. Um, but I'm getting back to where, uh, I'm getting things kind of dialed into where I can, just this is about or, being organized man like that's it like time, and, and i should know <laughs> and uh as as athletes mm. like that was our whole i think that was that was part of it though is like we had everything lined up for us we just got a schedule we were just handed a schedule be here do this do it boom 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 do what you're told um and and be where you're supposed to be on time early and uh you'll be successful and everything else will fall into place while you leave school and that was the weirdest thing. I was just talking to, uh, I was just talking to somebody about this. But yep. like, you leave school and you've had everything dialed in. You've had meal, lift, uh, practice meeting, uh, treatment, class, boom, 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 all the way through. We literally were handed a schedule like every day with our entire itinerary on it. Like it's crazy. And then you leave school and they're just like, all right, kick you out the door, figure it out. Like, and you're like, damn, okay. So it's been it's been a matter of in the last few years just figuring yep. out how to set that schedule for yourself because it's important to have it. Like you got to be able to time block, you got to be able to budget your time, dedicate so you can be fully entrenched in whatever your is on your schedule and not distracted and be fully present with what you're working with. Um, it's important. I'm still working on on getting that mastered and then figuring out you know how to prioritize different things within the music business, but. Um, it's been good, man. It's been, it's been an exciting year for sure. It's been a year since I put out a little over a year since I put out my first EP. And that was just like, that was huge for me to like, just the whole, it's, it's one thing to show your homies some music and they're like, oh yeah, this is dope. Cause that was my whole life. Like my best friends, of course, they're going to gas you up and stuff, not falsely, but like, they're going to support you. Um, but like, Part of the biggest thing for me too is finding mm -hmm. mentors and coaches and people that are where I want to be and or have done what I want to do uh, to, to learn. Like you got to be a student. You got to constantly be a student. So when I was putting out my last EP, <clears throat> I was like, I've developed a little bit of a network with, with some people through Mark. And um, I'm like, oh, I should send these to these people who have, who know this shit, like who know the business and know their stuff, including Mark and like get their feedback. And so I was like very uh, diligent about reaching out to people that I respected that I know do this stuff for a living, engineers, producers, artists, writers, managers, A&Rs, like people that I know um, 
and really do this. And I was like, look, don't just tell me my music's good. Like I need some, some feet. I need to be able to build, like I need to grow. So just tell me what I, tell me what I did wrong. I can, I could, I could hit up my mom and she'll tell me my music's good. Like, tell me technically what's going on. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Like when you have people that kind of admire what you do, that are friends, family, like people in your network already, they just think it's cool just because you're doing it. Like they don't know, they don't, they might not have the taste or the ear for something or whatever. So it was a matter of finding like people that I can trust that really do it. So when I did that and uh, <laughs> like reached out to those people, I was nervous, man. I was like, oh, what, if they, what if, what if they hate it? What if like it comes back and I got to change all this stuff or they mm. just like don't like vibe with it. Cause they're people I respect too. And I want them to like it at the end of the day too, artistically. Um, but all the feedback I got was like, man, like, this is dope. Oh, I love how you did this. And then I got the, I also got the, um, on this part of this song, the 808, you should try adding a little bit of this, or it's a little loud in this part, or you should compress the vocal a little bit more here. Technical stuff I could actually apply and bring back. And I was like, yes, this is what I need. Like, now I have that door. And then I would chop it back and I'd be like, all right, here, how's, how's this? And I'm like, boom, that sounds better. But now I would tweak this a little bit. And so just having somebody you can kind of, who can help you gauge what you're, what you're gunning for, you know what I mean? Is, is super important. So I've tried to, um, to stay on top of that. Um, but that's why at the end of my song, Deep End, at the beginning of the, <laughs> at the beginning of the size Street EP, I have, so that's, <clears throat> his name's Aubrey Delane. He goes by Juice and he's Nicki Minaj's, uh, recording engineer. And so it, I know him through a super, super, like actually, um, random family connection. He's like one of my dad's friends, friends, cousins, nephews, or something like some crazy connection, six degrees. And, uh, we connected and <laughs> like before I went on tour and we like met up and he was just kind of like giving me game on touring and stuff. And, uh, I sent it to him and he gave me that feedback and I was like, okay, this is my reminder. So I put that in there for myself. Like, this is my reminder. Like I've, I've shot my stuff's good enough. If I'm ever like doubting, like, Oh, my mixing skills or whatever. Cause that's kind of how I approach that. Those whole conversations. I'll just go back and listen to that song all the way through. And then his little snippet at the end, he's just basically like, bro, this is dope. Like he's, it's, he's fired up. You can tell. And so it's the fact that he's been doing this obviously with a very, uh, well-known yeah. like successful artist, um, and can give me that feedback is, is cool. But it's not just about the gas. Obviously, you got to get the criticism, too. So it's just a matter of keeping that balance there and, and getting the, the practical things to change and grow. Dude, I, I love that because, I mean, this big this whole podcast, I feel like, has been a um, just a testament to the compound effect of just small wins that you've been stacking up daily and setting these goals, you know vague goals equal vague results. And like you said, from the very beginning of coach uh, Grinch talking about being practical and setting these goals and achieving these little wins, then, then not look at the scoreboard, just keep getting takeaways, keep doing the little things, keep doing little things. And you wake up and you win games, you wake up and you're recording songs with people. You wake yep. up, you meet Marky, but uh, Basie is it Basie. Basie. Yeah. I always, I always, I, know, I don't want to mess his name up. I always, Basie, every time I'd see his name come up, I'd be like, guys, Basie, bossy. No, but Marky, uh, Basie. And, um, you know, you're doing this work and you're going to LA and you're meeting these people and you're doing, you're doing the work. And then again, the reaching out, like 
wanting the criticism, wanting the feedback, and you're actually going to the source. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I want, I want it from people that have been there. I want to learn from these people. And mm-hmm. it's, that's one of the pillars of the show is relentless curiosity is always wanting to learn, always being a sponge. And, you know, I really appreciate you sharing a lot of this stuff too, because I think it, it's easy for people to put on a front and be like, oh, oh I got it all figured out. And you're like, no, dude, I'm still, I'm still figuring this shit out. I'm still trying to figure this schedule out. We all are. So mm-hmm. to understand that you're not alone, because I resonate with all this shit in my own realm of, of life of like, dude, trying to figure out this schedule. Should I do this? Should I do that? And you've got your day job and you got all this stuff yeah. going on. It's like, nah, but I got dreams and I got goals. And, um, you know, wrapping it up, I just, I kind of just want to know who, who's like your inspiration? Like, who do you type of people, artists themselves or, or business people, like I don't, whatever, mm-hmm. who inspires you? Like, what do you try to resemble after, yeah, um, you know, inspirations, question. motivations? Um, hmm. I, I've been doing a lot of reading lately for sure. Um, and that's my, like, niche that I always come back to is that like self-development. I don't like yep. to call it self-help because that sounds kind of like sad and like, <laughs> like pity party, mm. but like self-development, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, like you're looking and, for something. Uh, yeah. I think just, just some of the books, Stephen Pressfield, um, uh, the, uh, war of art, man, that book, like that's another one that just mm. kind of like snapped me into perspective on a lot of things. It's just, it's just cool to read and know that, that like people identify with the same things that you go through on a daily basis, like um, as an artist or as an entrepreneur or as somebody who's create as a creator, right? So I really uh, I resonate with with uh, with that book, especially in his work. Mm-hmm. Um, other people musically, like I have my favorite artists, I have my favorite kind of producers. Um, like Ty Dolla Sign is probably my favorite artist. Just because he's just because he's so uh, he's so like mm. got a leg in every kind of genre and he's he's just versatile and that's been my whole life like even in sports like we just talked about like I could I was playing a bunch of different positions I was literally went for quarterback defense like just versatility has kind of always been my thing like being able to play different instruments being able to do different things record myself mix um, produce all this stuff. Uh, and in different sounds too, in different genres and, and kind of bend a little bit through, through where things are. And uh, I've always admired uh, Ty Dolla Sign for that because he's like a rock star that like paints his nails, but he's also like a, um, a smooth, like sexy R&B type song singing dude, like uh, rapper, like mm-hmm. dance music, like all this stuff. So I really like how he does that. <clears throat> um, and he's probably been been a, a big influence on my my music and my style. But I also feel like uh, just some of those like two thousands producers like Kanye, like uh, Pharrell, like Timbaland, like all the stuff that I really when I really started like listening to kind of yeah. more hip hop um, influenced music or or even kind of I guess popular stuff. But like. Um, just stuff like that, that when I was a kid and I really started liking, when I started playing instruments and when I started really liking music and what I would try to kind of model stuff after, um, I'd say are my, my influences, but I don't really have like anybody that, I, um, that I'll like 
really call my biggest inspiration or like my biggest influence. I have a list in my phone of probably like 50 different people, hmm. um, people that I'll, that I'll go through. Like as I, if I'm making a song, yeah, I'll go through and I'll like, uh, say, Oh, this kind of sounds like so-and-so. So I'll add it to my artist, like influence, influence list. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have like any, anybody specifically to be honest. But, yeah. Um, No, I, I love that, man. I love that because I'm on that kick too of uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the word that I've been on is, is this renaissance man and having a bunch of different skills to be able to make it your own and create your own lane, man. And, and you know, you're creating your own lane and, and I fucking love it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have all the links and, and all the stuff in the, in the show notes. Um, and I'm going to have all that. But I mean, where can we, where, where are we finding you, man? What's the... Um, you know, the IG. Yeah, yeah. Follow um, me on Instagram. Size has two eyes in it. Um, it should pop up if you search it. Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere you can you can stream music, YouTube. Um, yeah, check me out, Side Street. I got some more stuff coming. Uh, some cool features, like I said, uh, that we're, we got in the works and stuff. So just kind of tidying things up for, for some new releases. And uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on, man. This is, this is fun. It's always, it's always good to catch up with the with the boys, some of the LGs. So this is, this is good, man. It was, it was such fun. Hell yeah, man. It's, it's therapeutic, man. It's therapeutic, but that was, that was a banger, dude. There was so much, uh, so many good things. I can't wait to cut this one up, man. There's so many things and man, you, you probably helped a lot of people today without even knowing, um, just someone that wants to be an artist or, you know, just some of the shit that you were talking about, man, it really hits. Absolutely. Really, uh, resonates. I appreciate it. you coming on, man. Taking the